We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Britt Robson of The Athletic will be joining me here in a second, and we're going to take stock of the Timberwolves offseason sort of outlook now that the path of keeping the pick is out of question. This lets us dive into the roster as it currently stands and what can be flipped or adjusted as we get to next season. More specifically, what might be the best ways to adjust this roster that won only 23 games last season? Our presenting sponsor is BetUS, a place for you with the NBA playoffs here to wager on the games. At BetUS, they have great payouts, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you could dream of. You can sign up now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com and get 125% sign-up bonus using the promo code DANE125. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, let's bring in Britt Robson. Up, Britt, this obviously isn't our first conversation taking a look at the Timberwolves kind of off-season outlook, you know, since the end of the season. But previously, when we've done this, we've we've had the 27% path, right? We've had this idea that the pick can come through and that that I mean it would have. It would have totally changed the realm of possibilities sure. of, of what this team can do. But now no picks, no cap space, 12 guys under roster. I think for me that really clarifies where to start looking at this team so where, where's just your head very generally when you start thinking about how Gerson Rosas approaches this offseason well I I too like the clarity um I am of the belief um we're going to get into a lot of scenarios I think but um before we do that I would say that uh, with that great outline I gave you <laughs> a very extensive outline but you know at the same time as much as I want to push back against this whole idea that you're bucking the chaos that is our magic formula, um, I do think that there is a lot of uh, stuff that you put down that's interesting about a lot of different players. But before we get into that, I will say that I think the key is going to be uh, effort and buy-in more than anything else. Uh whether Chris Finch, I, I don't have any doubt about Chris Finch's capabilities at this point. I think he's an above average NBA coach. And I think if you're above average NBA coach on one side of the ball, 
you can recognize and be at least average, if not above average at the, on the other side of the ball. So, and I do think that because the personnel is locked in to the extent it's locked in, I mean, we'll talk about ways that can be unlocked, but more importantly, if D'Angelo Russell plays defense, uses his length to get deflections and defends even a notch better than he did the last 20 games of the season, which was a notch above what we, he had shown previously. Um, and if Malik Beasley comes back and, and learns a little bit better about positioning and not getting picked and not overcommitting, and Finch uses his accountability uh, weapon, which he used quite a bit uh, last year in, in some stealthy ways, fourth quarter minutes and stuff, and Edwards locks in. I mean, that's how this team is going to make a Denver-like, Phoenix-like, whatever-like jump. Uh, because you do have talent. You have top-end talent. But it is, so far, there isn't a player on this team that somebody could say, that guy has reached his potential, and he is a full-blossom player. And that's on the players who are in their sixth and seventh years now, uh, that they don't. you can't say that about them. So it's time for them to become a little bit more dedicated and to buy in. And I think when I would be looking at changes to the roster, my prelude on this is get players who either know their role already, know who they are, or are willing to take on a role that may not be, you know, don't get Jeremy Grant this time because Jeremy Grant wasn't going to go anywhere where he wasn't a 25% usage guy or something. You know, you don't want that kind of guy this time, I don't think. You want a guy who's a great role player. And you want everyone to be a great role player. I mean, that's right. what fitting right. into their, buying into their roles more and, and kind of embracing them. And I think that's been a great source of confusion, even for the best players on this team over the past few years. That's just the nature of being a bad team, right? You are handed outsized roles, um, and that's top to bottom. You know, that's, you know, that's cat. That's down to like Jalen Noel, where it's like, right. oh, you're a you're a ninth man. Well, it's like, I, and yeah, that's I'm a 20. that's a president of the basketball operations learning on the fly too. That's somebody sure. who who came from a Houston organization that did things a certain way, and he felt like he needed to ingrain that culture uh, to some extent. And that obviously wasn't the way to ingrain the culture. Uh, and so I think that's part of the confusion. Another part of the confusion was you know, the Ryan scapegoat era, uh, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, there's, there's different parts of this that, uh, that's, it, really, I, it, it does really make it confusing. It's like, there's just, there's a, this litany of excuses out there, right? That you can point to this, this, and this, this is why this player is, they haven't played together in X amount of minutes. Yeah, they haven't done this. Uh, you know, it's the Timberwolves, you know, whatever you want to say, but that what is the opposite of confusion is clarity. And so what we are talking about now, I think what needs to happen is not only clarity in terms of what you can do with your roster in terms of numbers and in terms of, uh, you know, the future, but what you can do in terms of putting people where they go and having them acquiesce and embrace that. That's going to be really important. So let's hit the bare bones of this, of, of where the team is at from a roster standpoint. They have 12 okay. guys under contract, which is a ton. That mm -hmm. I mean, right. I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time the Wolves have that, had that many players carrying over because typically what happens is it's with a bad team. It's a churn, right? right? At least half the roster is flipping over every year. 
from a contract standpoint, it does not look like that will happen. They got 12 guys under roster or under contract, which puts them $19 million over the cap and $5 million below the luxury tax. So you're in this place where you can't even, you know, Jay Crowder was the sexy name last summer, right? Like right. You, you can't even bring in that mid-level exception guy, role player, that, which is exactly what you're talking about this team needing. What about they, the biannual thing? Do you know? Yeah, the yeah, the biannual is is like four million bucks, but they could they could use four million of the mid level too. I mean, they could right, right they could use a fraction of the mid level, but really those those exceptions don't have as much power unless you're up at that nine ten million dollar level because because a lot of times those four million dollar players, you know, they might just take the two million dollar minimum to go play for a better team. The the difference there is is, is more marginal. So. I think if you're looking at adding a free agent on this team, what what you have to do is clear space so as to get up to having that full mid-level exception to be available. And you know, you don't need a you don't need a necessarily cut Rubio to do that because that now you've created 18 and you've you've now we're at, what we're at 23 and that's that's more than you need, but you need some sort of sequence of moves or a small move to at least get you to nine, ten. Maybe if Bomaro comes, that's another two, three million dollars you're adding on. Right. So you do have to you either just have to say this is the roster and and we're rolling with it, or you have to dump salary in a way to bring in a free agent. And this is the free agent path to to change in the team. Right. And that's which is the only path available right now, quite frankly. Free agent or trades, of, right, right? Yeah, and, and trade is its whole other can of worms that we'll get into. But the, the the free agent one, like, I think, I think it could make some sense to me and and be a meaningful boost. Again, I'll say Jay Crowder. If you could do that, if you could bring in Jay Crowder right. and have him be your starting power forward, and and do that, maybe you do boost this team up to being a playoff level type of team right it's just one it's easier said than done that you're going to nail that guy because we've seen a lot of for every jay crowder out there there's you know there's right. some there's a nine there's a damari carroll looks just like him and can't play like him <laughs> exactly exactly so i don't i like that path or i don't hate it but you run into who are you clearing the salary away from obviously rubio's the main name everyone's going to point to that is loaded in the sense that there's this Ant Rubio connection. There's there's a pretty deep Rubio connection, whether it's to the organization, the fan base, whatever. He's the vet, um, so that that's easier said than done. Even if you could find a team that's like, yeah, we'll take Rubio for eighteen. I don't know. There's there's some baggage to carry a, along with that, and then the other kind of options are somebody like Jared Culver. There's some baggage there too. One, and just that that was Rosa's first pick. Um, you are waving the flag of, yeah, we were wrong. This was a bust if you just try and dump him out. And he's kind of like Rubio, too, where you're like, are we sure some team wants to take Jared Culver on for $6.4 million this year and like eight point four the year after that? Like, right. I don't know how many teams would just say, yeah, we'll take that. Right. I, it, so, so to me, even trying to like mine this free agent path I don't see it. You know, I, I don't really see what the, the the path to take here is, which leads me to believe that the that the trade path is the way 
to changing this team. And you do that by trading the salary you already have for the salary on the other side and matching that up, attaching picks or players accordingly to, right. you know, to sweeten the pot. That That's how I see this team changing. Uh-huh. Well, I, I don't think that's wrong. Um, and I do think that seems to be an area where there's some very capable people with great track records in this front office, uh, getting into the obscurities, getting into the shaved margins where you can, you know, I will never forget when Houston acquired Chris Paul and I thought they were over the cap when they acquired a $30 million player. <laughs> yeah. That was I that mean, insane, that was, like Lou Williams bag of whatever. Yeah. It was You're incredible. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, you just thought, how in the world did they do that? And Rosas and Gupta were in the room for that. Wasn't Gupta in the room for that at that point? Or was he in Philly? I can't remember. No, he would have been in Philly. He okay. would have been in Philly. But well, same same difference. Rosas right. was there. And it's right. that it's that mentality of, I mean, that's what I'm, it, the, it's not good that the Wolves won 23 games last season that, that, that they're $5 million away from the luxury tax. Right. That That's a hard but thing. But better to, than winning 19 and being over the caps. <laughs> sure. But what, what I would say is, I, I think it was a strategy. I think that was their strategy was, Let's get in as much right. money, as many of these sort of salaries that can be the quote unquote filler in a trade. Have like have that on rather than taking the Knicks path, which is like, we're just gonna wait around, sit here every summer with thirty million dollars in cap space waiting for that team. Obviously, that makes a lot more sense for the Knicks. Rosas got in in here, licked his finger, put it to the wind, and said, Yeah, nobody's coming here. The only way we're getting people to come here, it, we're not New York, you know. The way we're getting people to come here is the way we got D'Angelo Russell to come here. Is the way we got Malik Beasley to come here. Wancho, whatever. Like, you're trading for him. And right. that forces the, the player's hands. So, again, the term I say all the time is pattern of behavior from Gerson Rosas. And it's that pattern of behavior to me is very indicative that he will pursue trading the salaries he has currently on the books for players who make similar salaries that he believes can be, you know, that are worth attaching a pick or two to. Right. And and it I think that really emboldens the very theoretical conversations of trading for a player as good as a Ben Simmons or John Collins or mm -hmm. Miles Turner and, mm -hmm. and those type of things. I don't I don't think that's irresponsible because that looks like what Rosas has been rigging the deck to do. Whether or not, you know, he has the like the ability to pull that off. Like we'll see, but ultimately I think this is what he's been lining up. Yeah. And you've been consistent about that. Uh, that is an area. I think you have a better pulse on that kind of stuff than I do. Um, I look at the three names you just threw out <laughs> and, and I think miles Turner is the more most likely guy for somebody like the Timberwolves to get. I think the market for Simmons will eventually heat up once the blow off of this playoff stuff is over. Uh, what's interesting for Philly's perspective is Simmons value will not diminish, but the comments by Rivers and Embiid will linger and that city will continue to be that city. So I continue to believe that Ben Simmons 
will not be in a Sixers uniform on opening day. But I do believe his asking price, the asking price for him will rise. Um, and I don't you. know what, I don't know what that means. Uh, at that, uh, shindig at the, uh, forgotten star brewery, uh, where we, uh, braid at each other over the din. Uh, I, I basically said that I would, I would do Delo and, and Beasley, uh, but probably not picks. You said you would attach picks. I think your picks probably, if there's a chance at all, they, they make the deal. Um, they would have to be added. Um, I just don't think that this team is ready yet for mm. the kind of masterful move there. Um, even in my deal, uh, D'Lo and Beasley, you know, that's Rubio and Simmons yeah. in your starting five. You know, I mean, well, you know, so. Maybe a good place to start is by both of us kind of saying how much we believe with this roster as it currently stands, because that not okay. only ties to the one path of like, they don't do anything this summer, but also now that you say it, you know, that's a pretty important thing of like, how, how good do we think this team currently is? We have right. to kind of establish that to be, to be able to understand how much better it will be by adding a Ben Simmons, by adding a John Collins, right. by adding a Miles right. Turner, by adding somebody who's less than that. Like what, if they just roll this group back out there, you know, say Pomaro comes. Now you got 13 guys and the roster is basically the same. Like, what do you just think simple internal development plus some more continuity, another year under Ant, Cat, and Delo's belt? Like, just in that vacuum, how good is this Timberwolves team in your eyes? I think that they're akin to, I think they're a 500 team. Wow. In, the, in the West, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I mean, I think they were very close to a 500 team when D'Lo came back and people were rolling. Fair. Um, sure. And I do think that Ant's improvement and excitement, um, I think that this is a case where him knowing what's coming now is a helpful thing. His improvement was interesting. I think the idea of a full training camp with Finch and uh, most importantly – I mean, there's a lot of variables, but if Finch can get a defensive scheme and defensive buy-in, I think there is enough offense on the existing mm -hmm. core of people for this to be a 500 team. And if everything clicks, uh, I think it's a fringe playoff team. Um, right. And I don't know in the West. I don't know if the West will be one of those divisions where like it's 13 deep and therefore the difference between eight and 12, they're all kind of a 500 team. I mean, I think that's possible. Sure. Um, so I don't think that, I think 500 is not overly optimistic, uh, but I think it is, and maybe even not the ceiling. I mean, there's always a chance for lightning in a bottle, but I do think that when you get to be a 500 team, then the roles are crystallizing and people are figuring it out. And for guys like Cat and Okogie and holdovers, even, you know, D'Lo at this point, um, you know, I mean, Brooklyn was 
a smidge over 500, I think, his all-star season where they went to the playoffs. True. I mean, that's kind of like the peak of these people's careers, but with a but with a kind of a, a sense of momentum. So I, I can see a successful 42-win team getting momentum, generating momentum. Um, so, so the the word that's coming out with these coaches, the new coaches falling uh -huh. in place, Joseph Blair is now taking over for David Vantable as the defensive coordinator. Right. And in a couple different interviews, he said 15th in defense, being an average defensive team. Yeah. And, and I like again, that because that's realistic. I, yeah. Well, that's what I was that's I was going to go with it again in purely in the context of this roster, as is we've not added Ben Simmons. We haven't added anything. How likely is it that this roster can be 15th in defense next season? Again, unfortunately, it's buy-in. Um, if D'Lo is not a sieve and Cat is as energetic and as willing to give up, I mean, fatigue hurts him on offense when he plays defense in something that isn't a drop-back scheme. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that. He had a career-low shooting percentage, especially, well, maybe not true shooting Two percentage. Point. Two point. Two point percentage was the lowest of his career, which yeah. is kind of insane because he well, wasn't shooting mid-range jump shots. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he was besieged. Um, and yeah, right. I mean, and that's the point. The point is that he draws defenders and kicks it out or makes the bucket. But having that as well as a commitment on defense, um, you know, I thought Cat had a very good year last year. Uh, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see Edwards, Beasley, and D'Lo are all no doubt subpar defenders right now. And so if two of those three become even average defenders and McDaniels continues to do what he does, Okogi filters in minutes and you get a little bit of a scheme going that maximizes people, I can see 15th. Um, yeah, I, I think... I think for me though, even like let's press those buttons. Let's make let's make Malik average defensively. Let's make Ant average defensively. I still would go back to having concern about the power forward position, mm -hmm. and what like which is I know that's an obvious statement, but I wonder how good this team again as roster as is a roster with Carl Anthony Towns as your center, how good it can be with a string being power forward, even if that power forward is a good defender. Maybe I'm too caught up on the notion of like, didn't work with Cove, like analytically didn't work with McDaniels last year. I, I guess I just really question, even if we are pushing some of these right buttons, what, like, how high can you go if your front court is going to be that sort of lacking force? defensively right. right and and that's uh that's a big concern for me in the context of kind of copy and pasting last year and and rolling it over into next year defensively and i think that the, the front office agrees with you and the coaching right. staff agrees with you i mean chris finch didn't really hide the fact that he thinks mcdaniels is a three <laughs> no, it's not, no. you know right. And uh, Rosas didn't hide the fact that power forward remains his priority in terms of shaking the status quo. Um, so how, I, how real do you think that is? I think it's the, real. I think yeah. that Rosas, uh, first of all, um, 
at the times he was saying that he was still drowning, you know? Uh, and so I think that, uh, Rosas is a very proud man, but he understood that he needed to quote unquote, come clean about a couple of things in order to buy more time. I mean, the, the, the jettisoning of, uh, Ryan is one thing, but then, okay, what the status quo is here, what are you doing? And what he, you know, I mean, I thought that that, uh, that mid-season or post-trade deadline presser. Yeah, that one where you asked about power forward and I asked about Ricky and Dilo. Yeah, and, and I mean did both, of those, both. both of those things. And so I do think that, especially with the power forward, the Ricky Dilo thing will sort itself out just by Rubio's you know expiration date, if not before, uh, in contract anyway. I think he'll still be around. But milk uh, carton. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I think this is leading us into one of the things on your copious outline, which is the power forward position. <laughs> it is. And, and with that lead, let's take a quick break and then we'll get All to right. it. The NBA playoffs are here and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at BetUS. As I sit here recording this on Tuesday afternoon before game four, of Bucks Hawks. BetUS has the Milwaukee Bucks as the favorites to win the NBA championship at minus 125. Phoenix is second most likely at plus 140. Then the Clippers hanging in 750. And the Hawks are the long shot at plus 2800. One bet I like right now is Chris Paul to win finals MVP. BetUS has Paul's odds of winning finals MVP at plus 450. To me, that seems like value if the Suns' outright odds of winning the title are plus 140, because I just don't see how the Suns win the championship and Chris Paul doesn't get MVP. There's also a ton of other things to bet on at BetUS. We got UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, football season, all just around the corner. And you need a sports book with great payouts. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years and prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1 800 69 BetUS. And you can receive a 125% sign up bonus. When you use the promo code DANE125, if you miss tip-off or forget to bet, that's not a problem either. You can bet live at BetUS all the way up to the final buzzer. And if you think it's too early to bet on the NFL, that's wrong. BetUS already has week one lines up ready for you to bet on. They got blackjack and hundreds of other games in the BetUS casino. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. BetUS, you bet, you win you get paid. We make USAA insurance for veterans like Liz and Mike. When they got a bigger car for their soon-to-be-bigger family, USAA helped them get covered and find savings. That was the easy part. USAA, which you're made of, we're made for. So, Britt, as we as we do talk about the power forward position, I, I, I think I mentioned to you uh, in a text that I had Jake Painting on to talk about Leandro Balmoro, and he did he wrote a great profile on him. And the conversation kind of at the end spiraled into, you know, what players does Leandro Palmaro fit with? And and what I what I was kind of coming to after having watched some myself was Palmaro is another guy who I felt like could really benefit from a rim rolling big, a pick yeah, and pace, roll guy. Pace, right. A, 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 but a guy who can fly to the rim and, and catch an alley oop like John Collins can. Really that that force on the roll, which is different than Cat and Nas, 
are respectable pick and roll players in and of their own right, but it's a different type. It's the Jordan McLaughlin, I'm hitting you with the pocket pass type of big, or in Cat's case, the pop. Right. And it was interesting talking to Jake. It kind of extended my belief in the idea that the right archetype for power forward for this team might be the Collins type of big, right. which is different. And I don't know. I mean, I'm still working through it. And that's honest, honestly why I want to talk to you about it. Right. Is, is that the right thing that John Collins or is the best archetype a Miles Turner where you've got a rim protector and a popping big? Or is it this idea of Ben Simmons where your wing is or your, your power forward is a creator mm-hmm. and is also able to defend on the, the wing? Those are three really different archetypes of power forward and three types of or second bigs. And three second types of second bigs that this roster does not currently have. And we have never really seen on the Wolves any of their players play with those type of players. So it's a, it's kind of a fascinating, like, what's the right answer here question to me. Right, right. Um, well, I'm a, as I said at the Forgotten Star the other night, I'm a Collins guy. I mean, I'm a Simmons guy before anybody, but I do know, as I just got through saying, I don't think he's gettable without mm-hmm. really doing wreaking havoc to this roster in a way that I believe that Ben Simmons will be fine, but I do think that his debacle in this year's pro season is not necessarily a hundred percent, you know, going to be clean ever. I think his, ultimate ceiling may be permanently diminished. Uh, Not ridiculously so. And certainly I think he'll still be, uh, you know, he'll be a a great player, but on this team, if you're punting scoring for the sake of Ben Simmons, and you don't have a lot of scoring besides cat and Ant, I mean, cat Ant and Simmons are great, but uh, as we just got through saying Simmons and Rubio on the floor at the same time. Anyway, the point being, I like the Collins guy archetype, but also John Collins two years ago was not this player. I mean, that's the thing that is uh, when Rosas first walked in the door, one of the things that he kind of inferred, if not outright stated is he can see into the future about guys, you know, he knows you know, they do good long mock-ups on people and figure out who's who and what's what. And Jade McDaniels is a, you know, that's a star on his lapel in that respect. You know, Jared Culver, I think he's even now uh, because he put, put himself in a big hole expecting to have something in Culver that he didn't get. But the point is a Collins, a Simmons, those guys are all you know, difference makers and even Miles Turner, who's my least favorite of the three, but to, to identify people either in free agency or in a trade that will be like that on the come, that would, that's going to make the difference here if they mm-hmm. could do that. Now, again, if they were obvious, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able to pull off these stunning deals, but the so- point, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, with the Collins, again, as if we're thinking about this as archetypes, because I, I bet you there's a bunch of people here listening to this right now. They're like, why the hell are you guys talking about John Collins? Have you watched the playoffs? Like, 
He's not going anywhere. Right. It's Ant or it's Trey and Collins in Atlanta. That's their, you know, that's their plan going forward. And, and Capella. Capella and makes Capella. a big difference. That's one of the reasons Collins can do what he does. But that well, it was also like can Capella and and Collins fit together? That was the question during the regular season. Playoffs have proven yes. The so I there's there are as I was going through and in the copious outline I gave you right right. Just looking around the league at fours and fives, yeah, I think that the John Collins archetype is much more common than the Miles Turner archetype is or than the Ben Simmons archetype is to add in. So I think that's a you know a point in favor or in likelihood that that is in fact the type of player that does does come through. And they're going to be depleted versions, poor man's versions of John Collins. But it's like I mean a couple of the names I put down like Dwight Powell. Right. You know, right. That's that would be a very attainable player who right. is who is a cheap version of, of John Collins does a lot of the exact same things right and he's making like 11 million bucks I don't know if D- Dallas would probably love to get off of that you can like you can now go get your John Collins guy for without trading any of the picks or any of the pieces that you might want it to have I, I think and I think he can an guard fives exactly which, which, that, which John Collins can't do as well exactly that I was going to bring that up about Collins as well that there, and then there's I think Larry Nance is the other one here that is uh also very much fits this Collins archetype. Yeah, you're higher on Nance than I am. I'm with you on Powell. So you think Powell's a better player than Nance? Yes. Ooh, I don't know about that. I think I, he, well, I think he's tougher. I think he gives them size, which is what this team needs. Mm-hmm. He plays bigger anyway. I don't know if I would but, agree with that. Oh, I would agree with that. It's yeah. more of the being able to check five sort of thing. Like Cat, if if Dwight Powell is in here, you know, Cat is guarding fours more often. In, in but those, um, but like they Taj. can also switch. Exactly, I mean, like in, in, in a Taj Gibson type of way, right? right I, I mean right. that. In, I mean that. Yeah, in a, and in that's a good way. that. I don't think you can do that with Nance. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. But Nance is that rim rolling center. Exactly. As Nance well. is definitely better. Well, maybe not better. I mean, it's hard to know with Paul because he's got Luca. Luca's okay. going to make Paul look good regardless. Um, but I do think that uh, Paul. Powell is one of those guys. Here's what I would say. I think that Powell fits the kind of role player mentality I was talking about coming into this. I always get the impression that Larry Nance feels like he should be more than he, what people are using him as right now. You know what I mean? He shoots a little fair. bit, a little too much for my taste. Uh, he glorifies himself when he makes a good play a little bit too much for my taste. He also plays for the Cavs who yeah. suck. So, yeah, but, but, but they would suck a lot less if, he was a little better, you know. I mean, uh, I I actually think that he plays next to Jared Allen, Colin Sexton, and Winston Garland. I mean, come on, you know that's is, not is Winston. Over. Is Winston Garland a musician? <laughs> <laughs> he is, isn't he? <laughs> no, it's actually uh, the other guy, Garland. Winston Garland is an old NBA player. <laughs> I don't know how old Winston, he is, but he, uh, it I might be it might be the other guy, Garland's father, for all I know. Yeah, there you go. All right. Um, the the other the other three guys I just put down on this list who I think fit the Collins kind of mold, um, Brandon Clark uh, would them. be would would be that. And on um, the outs was benched the final few playoff games. You think that was weird? You think? But also, what I would point to is a unlikelihood of that is 
the Wolves had rookie a chance deal. to take him. Well, well, rookie deal, yeah. But he was he was the Culver draft when the Wolves were at eleven. <laughs> and and I remember, you know, being like, Well, I don't know what that's when Dario was still in the mix. I was like, I, I liked Clark for the Wolves at eleven there. And uh he ended up falling, I think, to twenty one or twenty three or something like that. So I guess just in past whatever Rosas right. hasn't signaled that he's he's into into Brandon Clark. Right. Um, and the, the two other names and I put Clark down, made him look stupid his rookie year, didn't he? For sure. Well, and 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 Clark didn't shoot it this year. He he actually he didn't shoot a ton of threes his first year, but he made like forty percent of them. So everyone mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, this guy who can't shoot at all made forty percent of his threes. He's he's great." I mean, Clark Clark's star fell a little bit in his second season, right? And and hit a nadir with not playing in the playoffs, right? But you know, again, he's a that, banger. One of the things I really like about him is he mm-hmm. plays again. He plays bigger than what he looks like. And mm-hmm. he likes he like almost all of Memphis. He likes contact, and th- this team needs more guys who like contact. I mean, uh, they they don't have a lot of them, quite frankly. You know, Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Oh, Kobe. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, the other two names I put down were Tristan Thompson and Rashawn Holmes. I think Tristan Thompson. Talk about. A- <laughs> chopped liver and uh, a, a diamond in the rough. I mean, that's what I would say. Tristan Thompson is washed, in my opinion. I can't yeah. believe they got rid of Daniel Tice and kept Tristan Thompson. They deserved the, you know, if Brad Stevens wasn't general manager, he should be fired. He should fire himself as coach. I I think that that's fair too. I don't think Tristan Thompson's likely at all because I'm pretty sure he like hooked up with Cat's girlfriend, which is a whole separate sort of right. thing um so so we, we get we get x that one off but again as i was just moving through the the but league richard holmes mm-hmm. i mean first of that's all that's a free agent yeah and if sacramento if sacramento lets him go they are so stupid i've i i <laughs> i i took notes on your your list okay and uh this is richard holmes last year 18th in the nba in rebounds eighth in mm-hmm. blocks Second in field goal percentage, fourth in fouls, which means he, he likes to mix it up, and sixth in offensive rating for Sacramento. I mean, this is a a guy who's top ten in rebounds, blocks, and field goal percentage. He had a great year. And and he had part of that, you know, sometimes with centers we go like, oh, was it a DeAndre Jordan field right, goal percentage right, where no, it's all no, dunks? Right. It wasn't. Rashawn Holmes had that nice little like hook flip game in the middle. I mean, he was he was probably my favorite part of watching Sacramento this year when I did, because he's a he's also an old process Sixers guy. Right. From right. Uh, the right. Gupta days there. Too, he's going to so. get I think he's going to get like 15 to 18 million dollars, which, again, rules him out for, you know, Wolves. Purposes. Unless, you know, you can figure out something you want to give. I mean, obviously, Sacramento doesn't need Malik Beasley and they don't need Ricky Rubio. Those are the two guys in that mm-hmm. salary range. And I don't think, you know. I don't think you can put together a poo-poo platter. Um, right. One of the things when you mentioned Brandon Clark, I'll tell you a guy who really fits Memphis's template is Jake Lehman. Hmm. And if you add like Lehman and a second rounder or even Lehman and Nas. Sure. Uh, you might be able to get Brandon Clark. You know, one of these little minor deals that, you know, messes with the fringes. But uh you know, I think if Brandon Clark is as discredited as his playoff, you know, DNP indicates, Jake Lehman 
you know, the more I thought about him on that Memphis team, if he's playing beside Ja and Valanciunas, there's plenty of room for him to do what he does best. Yeah, he's a just in general, he's kind of an interesting trade piece. Like we we pretty much do this thing when we're talking about Wolves trades where it's like Rubio and Beasley, right? And we don't right. even we maybe sometimes like scuttle into Josh Akogi, but really the 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 next two guys if we're keeping Ant and McDaniels off the table, the next two guys who could be seen as values on their contracts are Josh Okogie and Jake Lehman. And in large part because their deals are very cheap. Josh is going to make $4 million in the last year of his deal, and Jake is about like 3.6 in the last year of his. So if you're a team, you know, that's that's looking for a bench a bench piece in that way, like I think Memphis would, yeah. I don't think it's... I don't think everybody on when you're playing with the trade machine, I don't think like everybody outside of the main guys are just like chopped liver. I think you right. could you could throw in some of these that make a little bit of a difference. Now, sometimes I see people talking about like getting a first round pick for Nas Reed or <laughs> yeah. you know, or right. you know right. or even a Kogi or something like that. And it's like, right. no, we gotta like temper expectations. But there are ways where they could be a little bit of a needle mover, you right. know, or the equivalent of you know, I I could see a world where all four of Akogi, Lehman, Reed, and Noel are moved to a team for a second-round pick of varying value, maybe a, a good second-round pick. Um, and and, and that, I, if that team, depending on where that team is in its development arc, mm-hmm. that would work really well. Exactly, exactly. So it, it, it's, again, where well, we started this conversation with, like, all right, the Wolves have no cap space. They have all these players under contract. It's we're going to roll the ball. I, I don't think so, man. I mean, I think, I think there's plenty of toys for Rosas and Gupta to play with on their roster to, you know, to to make something happen. I think it's part of the reason why they didn't trade anyone at the trade deadline. Like we don't think we don't think they could have picked up a second round pick for any of those dudes on the right. roster at sure. the trade deadline. I mean, I feel like they for sure could have for not that any of those guys are great, but. I, I think it's again it's it's Rosa's holding all the cards in his hand, waiting to waiting to make a move this summer when theoretically there's a lot more options out there of players to be able to be able to go after. So I mean, a lot of these names as we're throwing them out there, some of them are free agents, some of them are trade pieces. It's right. all right. It's all very up in the air. But it's kind of the fun part of this front office, right? I don't right. think these are stupid conversations to have. No. Even a Ben Simmons conversation, I don't think is a stupid conversation to have. And what do you think it'll take for, for Simmons? Simmons? I think... Um, two, two starters and two picks? I think D'Lo, Beasley, and two first-round picks that are protected. Lottery yeah. protected. Lottery protected, yeah. yeah. So, like, not great first-round picks, right? right. Like, right. Not, we're not talking about... We're not talking about the this like top three deal thing that they right. did. Yeah, no, like, and and quite frankly, like that's a that type of pick is probably twice as valuable. So so maybe it is. Maybe it's one top three protected pick rather than two lottery protected. You know, you can kind of right. That's kind of how how the currency works. But but yeah, I mean, I think the best the best framework of what the wolves can offer in terms of salary matching Simmons is D'Lo and Beasley. And I just don't, I don't think like 
yeah, you, there's lesser ways to do it. You can do Rubio and Beasley, and now you've hit your 33 million. But, man, if that's your framework, you got to perfect everything else. you got to find a way to make Kyle Lowry reroute himself to Philadelphia and use these extra picks that you've put in there. It's like right. the way I like to look at it is always from the other team's perspective. Right. Exactly. Not not the Wolves. And and I think if it were me and you and we we're playing fake GM, fake media guy for the Sixers, and we're talking about this from the inverse side, the only what we're considering for a Simmons trade is like, yo, we better get like two guys who can start for our team or be in our top six rotation. Plus I want to get picks that I can turn into something else as well. And, and I think, and from some people that I've talked to, that's, that's what they think Maury will ultimately hold to as, as you said, when things, when things start to heat up. So realistically, that's kind of the line I'm drawing in the sand. And quite frankly, it wouldn't be surprised if they try and chase after Jade McDaniels in, in a deal as well. Right. Yeah, well, that makes total sense. Um, I do think that I think Portland is is a, a obvious place for Simmons to go. I'm not the only person who thinks that, obviously. And I think McCullough and Picks and whatever else is on that roster that may sweeten it for Philly, whatever they choose. But I do think that McCullough and Simmons as the principals in a deal does benefit both teams mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's – I think in just a one-for-one one package or like a one, two teams just dealing with each other. And picks, um, right. I I think pretty much every – not every team. I think a lot of teams can offer something that's more attractive than what the Wolves can. Exactly, unless you put a Towns in the mix. Yeah, Towns. And then, and then, you know, no, what are we doing? Defeats, yeah. the, defeats the purpose. Exactly. So, so I think like ultimately if this comes together, it's due to great – craft in the third team's involvement ah okay right. like again like lowry, that's why, like lowry. or right. you know and it's a whole again a can of worms of different ways we can go with it but we're talking about daryl morey and gerson rosas like right right, right. rosas first deadline he pulled off a four-team trade that i think right we all don't think sucked like it was right. probably a it wasn't just like a four-team trade just to do a four-team trade and be able right. to like flex. Um, I mean, that was a good move at the deadline. You know, we could talk. Dela Wiggins is different. But, um, I, I mean, a willingness to do that, Gupta, a skill set to be able to do that. And then Daryl Morey, right. to your Chris Paul point before, it's like this is the shit he does when he gets pushed up against the wall. Right. And – when you have the number two overall pick and you have Lowry as a sign and trade dangle, then you're dealing with a position of strength. If you're Moray, I mean, I mean, not Moray, but, uh, uh, Ujiri. Yeah. Ujiri. Um, and so, but obviously Kyle Lowry, Lowry on the, (laughs) uh, Sixers makes all kinds of sense for the trajectory right now. Well, and, and what I think is important to note, through the Wolves context, or for, I guess just the Sixers context, is is Lowry is an expired contract. Right. So it would be a sign and trade. And sign and trades, trade. sign and trades can do anything. You don't have, <laughs> yeah, well, you don't got to pay a lot for right. that at all. Right. Like KD was a sign and trade to Brooklyn. Right. And they got one top 20 protected first round pick that became two seconds or something like, or right. maybe even right. one second. Like when we're talking about, when we're in the sign and trade world, it, 
you are not paying for the player. You are paying a facilitation fee. Right. And and that is not that is not a high price at all. So it's not ridiculous to put together three team trades with between Toronto, Minnesota, and Philadelphia. Right. Or Toronto, Philadelphia, and Portland or somebody else, where you can pretty easily get, you know, Kyle Lowry back on you know on your team for, for a cheap price. So I think that's a real that's a real thing. If you if you are if you're one of those people who are like need Ben Simmons pounding on the table for that, like you gotta be like, thank God that Kyle Lowry is from Philadelphia. He's in this situation. They need a point guard more than they need anything else. I mean, that makes yeah, you said it more concisely. That makes a ton of sense. So, but I mean, if let's say for example, and this could be wrong on me in ways. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but Lowry sign and trade to Philadelphia. Simmons to Minnesota, um, D'Lo and Beasley to Toronto, and a pick to Philadelphia. Well, I would say that, I would say in that framework, like, Toronto doesn't need all the, I, I would say Beasley would stay in Philadelphia. I think Beasley's a nice fit in Philadelphia. Like, Toronto... I think Toronto does that sign and trade if they just get Ricky Rubio and a protected first round pick, which is a well, lot less than what you I don't know saying. because I mean they're clearing a lot of salary there if they just don't do anything. Yeah, but it's true. But it's also what what's Toronto doing next year? One year of Rubio at eighteen. I mean, then then you got then that becomes cap space the the following year. I don't hate Rubio in Toronto. That's like when we talk about Rubio, like. What are the couple of teams you could see Ricky Rubio actually playing for, or like? Well, I would especially say I mean, if, if they got you know Green or Suggs, Rubio might be a good caddy there. Exactly. Was, yeah, just pass them around for, <laughs> for this mentorship for all. Yeah, which I it, that's what's kind of complicated about this is it's like I think D'Lo is probably the piece that that would go to is like the most attractive piece to Philly in this. They need a creator sort of way. But Lowry, I would rather the if I'm Low- Philly in their yeah. in their current. Oh yeah, you know, I'd take Lowry over D'Lo in terms of somebody to play with Embiid and Seth Curry in that group. What about this though? What about Lowry and D'Lo together? <laughs> D'Lo, D'Lo, D'Lo played next to Rubio. Played next to McLaughlin. Yeah, I I think um, played next to Steph. I I, I think games. that um, D'Lo better be a hundred percent effort on the court to play next to Kyle Lowry. Uh, and I'm not sure. I, I think that would have to be an all buy-in. I don't yet have enough faith in D'Lo's total commitment to being a two-way player to think that Lowry and D'Lo would get along swimmingly. Let's put it that way. That's I think Kyle, Kyle Lowry thinks his teammates should work almost as hard as he does, which is why he's a great leader. Mm-hmm. Um, that has yet to be proven by D'Lo. And and that's even giving him credit for the step up he took, which I acknowledge. I'm much more bullish on on D'Lo than I was uh, before he came back from the injury. But uh, that's a big risk when you, you you're putting that much currency in the backcourt that they better get along and be synergistic. It's why, like, and again, I just said I don't see this happening, but. The best thing from a Wolves perspective, in my opinion, in a Simmons trade is to be able to have the outgoing salaries be Rubio and Beasley. And yeah, that would be perfect. 
it, but well, and what I'm saying is that's the situation where me as Rosas, that's where I'm willing to be like, okay, Jaden McDaniels goes out in the trade, or uh-huh. another first round pick. No, goes I out get in the it. Trade. Or, 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 you, or you, you up, yeah, you up the, right, you up the ante. Right. You on, sell, on, you on, sell uh, rainbows. <laughs> sure, I just. That's I mean, because the... let's face it, McDaniel's is good. I love him. I mean, I I I waxed eloquent about the dude. You know, better I, than I, Anthony Edwards. That's right. There you go. I had a forty-eight <laughs> hour moment of insanity there, and uh, and so yes, uh, but he is obviously a fantastic prospect, but he's not there yet. I mean, he's not. He didn't. You know, he's not all defensive team material yet he certainly looks like somebody who could be someday pretty soon but again seeing is believing and uh right but so what i'm saying there i guess is that um if you have ben simmons on your team jade mcdaniels is less important true that's just a that's just and that's kind of like when you when you were saying you know the archetypes, which archetypes is best for a power forward? Well, some of it is what do you have to sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. and and you have to structure these trades according to will the incoming guy give you back an area where the outgoing guy is weak mm-hmm. or strong? You know, in other words, where how, are you balancing your roster better or are you tilting are you profiting? it? Again? Yeah, yeah. I I think what was when I was doing this archetype thing and I I made the list, I was like, am I going to find any Ben Simmons archetypes like to to even be able to to put down? Because he is really a unique player. He is totally unique. But I did go through the league and I I don't hate some of the ones I put down. All right. Well, let's take a look at him. Thad Young. Right. I I, I would disagree there. I think okay. Thad Young is is on the back nine of his career and is not ever been a exceptionally quick guy. I think he's smart and I think he knows how to get in the seams. And I'm, prob- I'm probably biased over the fact that he totally shit the bed his year he was here. Uh, it was easily the worst year of his career. But isn't he? He's got to be like 32, 33 now, right? Yeah, yeah. It, but it's it's that archetype of four, right? Who who defends. And right. scores off the bounce from right. the power forward position, which is again, you know, pretty without having a, a jumper right. really. So I throw out I throw out Blake Griffin for the same reason. I mean, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Not not for the Wolves. I like Kyle Anderson as I like as, that as, as an impoverished man's Ben Simmons. Uh, right. That one's good. Although right? you know, now that um, Kyle Anderson can shoot a little bit, maybe yeah. uh, you can't. You know, you also have to have a guy who. Who's afraid to shoot? I guess to be a Ben Simmons clone, like Aaron Gordon. Uh, exactly. I like my list. Yeah, I like yeah. my list. I got none of those guys. Bands. I I looked I looked at all those and uh, I put no next to Thad Young, Aaron <laughs> Gordon, James Johnson, obviously, and Blake Griffin. I put question marks next to Kyle Anderson and Derek Jones. Yeah, it's. Again, because he is a very hard player to yeah, and Derek approximate. Jones, Derek Jones can't shoot either, so that's good. Yeah, I the the thing is, is it's like I'm just curious if again, is this archetype something that Rosas is into? And and as we've talked about extensively, I had a strong belief that Aaron Gordon was very much Rosas type, 
as, as a four. And I do really feel like glad he, he didn't act upon that. Yeah, I, well, that's all we're talking about. We're talking, right, right, <laughs> we're talking right. about the, the type and, and, and James Johnson, I feel like is also that same sort and of Rose thing. Did like him. Right. Right. So I, I like, I, I guess there's two different ways you can go with this is like, maybe this will be the, the style of power forward they eventually go with, or it's a little bit more kindling on the fire to the idea that Rosas really would be into Ben Simmons because uh-huh. he's been interested in players who are like him, but worse at all right. the things that no, Ben Simmons I get it. is good at. What I will say is that I do think you're going to see Anthony Edwards become a 30-plus usage guy next year. And I think that's harder. Um, I mean, Simmons, I'm sure, has a usage that's surprisingly low because he doesn't shoot. But I also think that um, unlocking a creator, I mean, the the creator they have tried to unlock the most in the past two years is D'Lo. And and D'Lo is is not bad, believe me. I mean, I think he is... uh, a B plus creator in terms of, you know, self-creating guy, he can get a shot off in a crowd. He's got impossibly long arms in terms of the elevation of his jumper is really hard to block. Um, He's got good herky jerky instincts on that. He got to the rim a lot better under uh, Finch. I mean, there's some on deep on offense. I think there's a lot of really good signs from, from D'Lo. But I think you want to explore sooner rather than later because uh if anthony edwards isn't going to be an all nba type you want to know that and i think the way you know that is to have him slide into that donovan mitchell devin booker 30 mm-hmm. usage role like second and third year right away and i, why, I think it's why the delo injury was the best thing that ever happened to ant last year <laughs> right. and i think that the ben simmons arrival might complicate that it might not it would be weird it would be great tools to work with because of what it gives you on the defensive end but you know i can see simmons wanting to prove himself on offense all of a sudden you know couldn't you just totally see finch using simmons so differently though yeah off of like as a post up four yeah but also like coming off some of those little like peel screens curl actions all through the lane like that where he's where he's catching the ball already like in the midst of going downhill rather than like Philly. A lot of times he was used like Giannis, you know, where it's like spread high five and he's going to, you know, he's just going to attack in that sort of way, which I would like to see Ben Simmons next team do that as well. But I do think it's like whichever team Ben Simmons is on next season, if it's not the Sixers, or I guess if it is the Sixers too, I'm fascinated to see how he's used differently Mm -hmm. because I think what we know now is, whether it's regular season or playoffs, he turns the light switch off when you just put him in the dunker spot. I understand the logic of doing that, but it just it just kills him. It makes him not confident to, to shoot with a, a, like a lot of other factors impacting his confidence as well. But there's a coach out there who the perfect coach out there who Ben Simmons lands on the team next year and is awesome, right? And Probably a lot of that is about the context of the roster he's in. Like I could see Ben Simmons being like awesome on the Rockets next year, right? Where mm-hmm. he ends up being like the best player. Um, it gets more complicated or weird, as you said, 
when you have one or two other guards who are trying to create for your team and that's such an important part of your of your building it it it, it is a strong case against Ben Simmons mm-hmm. yeah and I can see him I mean wouldn't he be marvelous on the Rockets I mean uh, uh, the Nuggets for example I mean trade uh, Michael Porter Jr. and uh, you know Another really nice well, one of their pieces. Look how good Aaron Gordon worked. Right. He's like, again, archetype. He's right, on the right, list. Right. I, I'm serious. And, and if like, you can imagine, I mean, Simmons in between Murray and Jokic on offense and on defense, you know, being like the tip of the spear out there. Oh, man. I mean, he would be fun in Denver. He would be. There's, yeah. Again, there's a there's a world where... We're doing the same thing that we did with Chris Paul and we did with freaking Paul George and all these right, guys right. where we're like, they suck, they blew it in this, they're washed, they're whatever. Right, and right. then, you know, I don't know, maybe a better example is like Julius Randle, right? Where you're just like, right. Boom. Although Julius Randle was never great. He was always no, yeah. kind of an overusage guy. True. And I That's don't true. know, you know, what happened to him. He was one of those guys that was a ball hog, um, kind of, yes. you know, and so. All of a sudden, hey, yeah, you can hog the ball. You know, right. you're, pre- you're pretty good at this. But, and imagine imagine Simmons on the Blazers. I mean, you know, between Dame and Nurkic, you know. Which, by the way, which reminds me, I know we're hopping all over the place, which is ultimately my goal. But uh, <laughs> Zach Collins, you know me and Zach Collins, man. I mean, that you talk about a high-risk, high-reward. I would give the mid-level to Zach Collins. Well, see this, that's a perfect segue into archetype three, the, the Miles Turner style. Uh, I think Zach Collins is one of those there too, rim protector and popper. Yeah. And I am not, it's funny is I'm not a big miles. Maybe I just haven't seen enough miles Turner. Almost all the miles Turner archetypes I like as well or better than miles Turner. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm saying, I, I don't know. I found myself probably, you know, the, six o'clock game. I found myself watching the Pacers a ton at the beginning of the year, right. which was when Turner was playing right. really well. Um, I'd always been kind of interested in him. I thought he was just excellent as a rim protector. I thought in the first 30 games of the season, Miles Turner was the defensive player of the year. Best, hmm. best defensive player in the league. Um, in, in, in similar to Gobert type of ways. Uh, and, and granted there's, there's demerits to Turner's game as well too. He's been, I was just kind of going through it before, just looking at total games played per season. He's been injured almost every year, missing, you know, missing chunks of times. And I think like stuff to his foot, which you don't love for a seven footer, all, all this and that, but. All of which apply even worse to Zach Collins, by the way. (laughs) True. That's true. (laughs) Uh, But we were going back and forth a little bit at Forgotten Star about Collins versus Turner in terms of like their value as shooters. Right. And, and neither of us knew off the top of our heads their exact three-point percentages and stuff. And, and my, my point to you was that I believe, like, Turner's just a better open gym. Or he's a better shooter in, in that situation, whereas John Collins has actually, I mean, he shot 39.9% from three this year and 40.1% from three last year, which sounds awesome, right? right. But I remember, I remember, like, a month ago just ripping through all of his threes or all of his spot-up situations – and my God, that dude was wide open 
all the time when, when he was shooting. But isn't that a good sign? It is, it is a good sign. It is a good sign. I'm just, I would like John Collins. I'm not saying I, right, I wouldn't right. like John Collins. But I mean, he is a guy that gives you what he thinks is best to give you. I mean, his shot selection in these playoffs has been magnificent, you know? Yeah, it has been. I, I think, I think. I mean, and John Collins will be paid as such. Miles Turner is oh, an yeah. $18 John, million dollar player. He's going to get, Collins is getting a lot more than that. Uh, he and, might and, get the max. He, he, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked. I just, with a little bit lower of a salary, maybe a little bit lower of a player, maybe there's uh-huh. a, a different type of opportunity with Miles Turner there. And, and I get that. And I get, I mean, I was up for an argument at Forgotten Star, and I liked John Collins more than Miles Turner, so I wasn't – plus there was, you know, a lot of attendant noise, and I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at the crowd most of the time, <laughs> which kind of gets in the way of conversation sometimes. But I, I am more uh, willing to grant your points here in that Miles Turner checks some boxes that are gaping voids on this team, on the Wolves. And uh, one of them is um, rim running and, and rim protection are both things he's very good at. Um, um, he's not a fabulous finisher, but he, he, he likes to move. You know, he doesn't stand around a lot on the basketball court, which mm-hmm. is kind of a cool thing for a, a big shot blocker you know, to say about him. He's kind of a um, – nah, it's not really a, a – Totally accurate comparison, but I see a little Kirilenko in him um, in terms of uh, just being able to uh, knows what he's about. That was what really excited yeah. me about him in Indiana yeah. this year. He was like, "All right, Sabonis, like you're the dude, right? Um, you're the low post guy, great. and I'm the above the break three guy, right? And and, and but on defense, I'm going right. to hold this whole defense together, right? And, because and so, you don't you don't play well, Sabonis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the. When I was looking at some of his his shooting numbers here, and again, a, a pet peeve of mine, people listening to this know you know this, is like that we assign shooting grades based on three-point percentage. Right. You know, and, and again, John Collins gets an A because he shot 40% from three the past two years. I don't think John Collins is an A shooter. Right. I think he, I think that percentage is is a product of volume and situation, which is good. He's good at, he's right, good at right, that. Right, right, But John Collins shot the highest frequency of threes of his career 27% of his shots were threes this season miles turner shot 48% of his shots from three right so he is again a much higher volume three-point he's shooter a five and he's exactly yes <laughs> yes and but the percentage is lower the percentage is lower he shot 33 and percent from three this year and 34 percent the the year before that so you're like he's one of those guys where you look at the numbers and you go well, do we even want him to be shooting that much because his three-point right. percentage has, has hasn't you know hasn't been where where it wants to be? So it kind of becomes an article of faith of like believing you know believing in the stroke, believing in the idea that he could be come a a real sort of Channing Fry type of guy on offense right. while also pro- providing you that Gobert type rim protection on the other end. I mean, if that happens, that's a hell of a player. Exactly. It, neither of those things are certain. He, he's ultimately didn't have as good of a year as Gobert did as, as a rim protector. And he's, his numbers indicate he's nowhere y- near being Channing Fry as, as a shooter. I don't know why that's the name I'm going to, but you get what I'm talking well, about. Well, yeah, because he was one of the first string being three, you know, three point mm-hmm. shooters. Uh, not that Miles Turner is string being, but he's a big dude. 
One of the things that just occurred to me, the, an advantage of your five, be it Cat or Turner or whoever, Brooke Lopez, shooting those above the break threes is you've got your five already halfway back in transition. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and that is important. Um, it's been huge for Lopez in Milwaukee. Yeah, really past is. Past two years. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean... By the way, Brooke Lopez, I think it was $2.3 million is what his first contract in Milwaukee was for. I know. I think it was the biannual we were talking about. (laughs) And Reggie Jackson, Mm -hmm. you know, what, two or one? I can't remember. He signed for the minimum minimum. when I was, you know. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things, you know, people underestimate the fall in your lap things that inevitably happen to teams that go deep in the playoffs. There's a couple of guys on the roster who go, holy smoke, how in the world did they get where they are? How can they be a top seven player? Nick Batum, you know? I mean, how, how can these people be where they are? And it's because they got signed. People didn't really know whether they'd mesh where they are. But, hey, lo and behold, they found a slot for them. Um, a coach, a Ty Lu, figures out, I play four bigs with Reggie Jackson, He's a poor man's Kyrie. He'll go out there and, you know, get to the rim when he feels like it, dish occasionally, hit the three. Um, and and that's why I'm a little bullish on Chris Finch being that kind of guy, somebody who sees a guy who maybe is universally regarded by Yumi and everybody else as a four to six million dollar player right now, who suddenly gets put into a $15 million role and thrives. Right. That's how teams get better. No, it's a it's a it's a great point. And and you know, to the players that you're listing off, it's a as I'm thinking about it, it's a it's a product of front office identifying talent and coaching staff, you know, empowering that talent in, in exactly. that sort of way. And you know, if we look back at the past decade of the Timberwolves, you haven't had <laughs> right. I mean, you haven't had and I'll you've see had this depowering. Exactly. You you haven't had the front office that's been able to, you know, they go out and Tibbs well, goes out to get wrong. Jamal Crawford. Yeah, right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And and again, and, uh, uh, maybe we're we're still kind of Kool-Aid drinkers on on Rosas and Finch maybe to some degree too, but I feel confident, much more confident in saying that the Timberwolves have the type of front office that can identify the type of player that you're talking about and now have the type of coach who can empower that type of player. So yeah, I don't... I mean, I think that guy could be you know could be the big swing difference and maybe that's just the maybe that's just the one player you plug in and we right. the, none of this big turner collins simmons stuff even happens but you exactly go and i think that is the way the nba works a lot more than hmm. yeah i mean every the, the the headlines are always you know lebron to miami lebron to la Kyrie to la uh and, you know, more recently, KD and Kyrie, you know, whatever, and Harden. But uh, the most interesting teams, the fun teams, you know, Chris Paul to Phoenix and boom, you know, Dude, there look it at, was. Look at all four of these teams right now. It's like we, yeah. could, we could go through all of them with Bogdanovich, you know, with, with the, the Hawks. And were they able to kind of find right. there? And I know like, and I think, I know Gallo gets paid a lot, but he's kind of what you're describing exactly. there, there as well. Jay I Crowder. wanted Gallo to be the guy that they traded James Johnson for. <laughs> oh, you did. I remember that. I remember, well, it would have been a little bit better than Rubio. Um, but 
yeah, it, I think I think you make a good point there, particularly when you're a team who's already like you got your guy, you, you got, got your, your pecking order. order, right? Yeah, you you already know, and it's just about sticking somebody in there. A lot of the time, like I don't think that Atlanta offseason was regarded that kindly from a public perception standpoint. You know, oh, we signed Rondo for this money. You know, Chris Dunn. Right. Gallo for a lot of money, Bogdanovich for you know, I think people like. But I will tell you right now, if Chris Dunn comes back, and DeAndre Hunter, who's a forgotten yeah. man right now, Atlanta is going to be fun. I mean, yeah. I'm finally on board. Uh, Trey Young under um, Nate McMillan is starting to swing me around. I used to think that he was a ball hog, and I was on the empty stats bandwagon with Trey Young. That's obviously a discredited position now. Um, but I do think that as much as I loved uh, Lord Pierce, uh, that uh, it was a huge upgrade. I mean, Nate McMillan was the right guy for that team. And um, Atlanta going forward, not even seeing Chris Dunn and DeAndre Hunter on the floor and knowing – that what Atlanta misses more than anything are guys who can get stops. Yeah. Makes you think, man, if they put all the pieces together, because Nate McMillan is, is a hard nosed defensive coach at heart. I, in, in reality, we do the Suns thing a lot for the wolves, right? Of, Oh, the bubble, yeah. they finished, you know, that really like Atlanta, Minnesota parallel is the more realistic dreamy scenario that, that, that I would point to like 12 months ago. Is that the Atlanta team and the Minnesota team before before Atlanta went right, out and got right. Bogdanovich Gallo um and done cut yeah right. and drafted Okongwu or whatever before last offseason entering right. last offseason the difference between Atlanta and Minnesota was not all that different they had this super young coach Lloyd right. first time coach they had these questions about fit with they just landed Capella at the trade deadline it's like how's Collins going to fit how's all this and that and and really, they sucked at the beginning of the year. They sucked at the beginning of this right, year. Right. Even with Gallo and Bogdanovich. I know there's injuries and stuff. But I remember having a, a Hawks writer come on at like 15 games into the season. And, and we were talking about the similarities between this team and how, you know, are the Wolves going to fire Saunders and are the Hawks going to fire Pierce? Right. And, and really, the Wolves and Hawks have done kind of similar things. They've got a more veteran coach right. in place. And... What the Hawks have done better is they further empowered Trey Young, but in a lot of ways, like Trey Young and Cat have some similarities too, right. as offensive, you know, young players, offensive players that um, have questions to answer defensively. I think the middle depth is the difference now. I mean, when you you hit on DeAndre Hunter instead of Jared Culver, same mm-hmm. draft, yep. and they look kind of very comparable to me. I really, you know, flip a coin is what I thought, you know, right. and, and actually their rookie years were both very disappointing. All of a sudden Hunter True. figures out how to play a second year and Culver doesn't. Um, but then, you know, you also had Herter who was, you know, three picks before a Kogi too. Woo, you know, that there's a guy, you know, I've loved Herter, you know, since I first saw him, he just mm. seems like a guy that, uh, and his defense is getting better. He's that big. was his. That was his problem. I know. I know. Big, but I mean, right? he's starting to. Uh, he reminds me of um, the other Bogdanovich, uh, Bogdan yeah. or whatever, yeah. 
and in Utah last year when he began to take on roles, he was always regarded as a bad defender. I can't, maybe he was on Harden. I can't remember who he was on, but he was, yeah. no, it may have even been LeBron. But yeah, anyway, uh, and Pacers. I was thinking he's doing okay, you know, yeah. and, and, um, but, uh, and if Herder can defend, cause that guy's got range to 25 feet, 26 mm-hmm. feet easy. So let's, let's put a pin in it here where okay. of those, of those archetypes, because I, I think, I think we all agree that the best player of the three is Simmons, but yes. And we also probably agree that that isn't the archetype that this team needs. He's the unicorn. Most. He's See, the that's unicorn. the problem. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, if there was a, a lesser version of Ben Simmons that was still fully Ben Simmons, you know, Aaron Gordon comes closest I to just, that. I wish you didn't hate Aaron Gordon so much. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think part of it is that uh, he isn't – I think his eye test is vastly greater than his actual value. I don't know why that is, but whenever I watch him and I go, you know, he looks good, but his teams are not – I mean, it, it. to be fair to him, Denver did get better. He was important to Denver down the stretch. But um, – He's a totally unreliable shooter. He can be fooled on defense. He's overcommitting sometimes on defense. I think he's just got some fundamental flaws. He is not a dribbler. He has no handle. Um, ah. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah, I mean. I, but anyway, I think, yeah. he, he's a, he's. if Ben Simmons is a 10, Aaron Gordon is a 4. I'll go 6. But okay. We'll split the but that's the drop. You know, mm-hmm. so when I'm looking at your list – you know, the guys that, you know, we haven't even talked about Daniel Tice, who's like another one of my secret crushes, you know. Uh, Free agent. Exactly. And and the and he's Bulls, the Turner archetype. And they're not going to get off of, uh, you know, the dude. Yeah, Vucevic. Uh, you know, they committed a ton to that working out. Mm-hmm. Zach Levine and Vucevic don't work. Who would have thought? You know I mean? <laughs> Jesus Christ, how many points can you give up? <laughs> but so anyway, Tice Tice would fit really well here because they, you talk about a guy who knows his role. Right. You talk about a guy who, who's automatic down low, you know, near the rim. Great finisher, um, hard nosed, will take a foul at the right time. Perfect for Cat, I think. Yeah. And I don't think he's a $10 million guy. I don't think you have to spend the full mid-level. I don't either. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think if you get him for six, that's a nice little piece. So maybe maybe that's what the answer is. Maybe the answer isn't that there is a best archetype of these three for this team. Maybe it's like anything. It's about price point, and it's exactly. about how attainable each you know each and every one of them what are. What you have I, to sacrifice. What, what scenario improves the value? Mm-hmm. And obviously you're looking for maximum value, but if you get guaranteed decent value, that's, that kind of argues against my Zach Collins. I mean, Zach Collins, a year from now, people could go, what were you thinking? You know, (laughs) the guy hasn't played in two years and he sucks. I mean, that's entirely possible. I just am really intrigued by his upside. But if you're talking about like a, a Daniel Tice will not make you look bad. Uh, if you if you sign him for his value, I think it's it. I think it's encouraging that we're optimistic if all these different 
types of guys who could go next to Cat and work. And really the one thing that we just do know, or at least it's my opinion that we know, is is that an undersized four in terms of strength and maybe height too, like a Covington or McDaniels, not because they're not good defenders, right? but because of the way they play are not the right type of fit next to Cat. Right. And, and also the X-out schemes. I mean, you need – you're talking about that Toronto switching stuff. Um, you need a, a Tice, a Holmes, a guy who is beefy and yet mobile, a guy who's mm-hmm. who knows how to switch on that and doesn't get put on an island um, because all of a sudden he's, you know, he's in the corner with a guy 6'9". You know, if Joshua Kogi's making that switch, sure. there's a foul happening, you know. <laughs> It's it's good because I think like a lot of times when I think I've thought about Timberwolves off seasons in the past, I was like, well, you know, maybe they are able to somehow convince this player to come and sign with the team, pay him a bunch of money, and it's kind of that or nothing, you know. Right. I remember I remember thinking that about like Paul Millsap, the first right Tibbsy or something like that, and then it ended up being he didn't sign there. And it was nothing, you know, you end up, you, you, they're, they don't use that cap space. They fill it in with, I don't even know, some guy like Jordan Hill or something. And, and I think what, what's good about this off season is it's not, it's not Simmons or nothing. It's not Turner or nothing. It's not Collins or nothing. There's exactly it's each one of those have their own X percent chance of happening, unlikely, but possible. And then there are guys beneath them in their archetype that I think could also be had by the wolves. If the price, if the price is there, a Dwight Powell, a Daniel Tice. I mean, there mm-hmm. are guys who aren't sexy, call them rich men's Ed Davis's yeah. call them, you know, right. guys who instead of signing, you know, giving up a second round pick and signing a guy for 3 million or 4 million or whatever he was double that. And maybe mm-hmm. keep the pick in a second rounder. For eight million bucks in a second rounder, and you get a guy who beefs up your front court in some ways that would be really nice. That's a good investment. That's a value play. And and for the people who are rolling their eyes at like, oh, that Daniel Tice or Dwight Powell is gonna make not gonna make any real difference on the Wolves. It's like we're not even arguing that. We're operating within the the construct of a team who has no cap space, has a full roster, has no picks. It's like we can't. Those are the options, unless you want to like empty out the draft picks or trade the McDaniel's and all this and that. Like you're not, you're not getting Ben Simmons and keeping everything else. You're not getting Miles Turner and keeping right. everything else. You're not getting John Collins and exactly. keeping everything else. And also, I mean, t- to those snide dudes, those are exactly the reason I began the whole podcast with a caveat, which is what is going to matter most is a good scheme that people buy into and. Deliver effort on guys like Cat, guys like D'Lo. Then all of a sudden, lo and behold, that's what makes a Daniel Tice or a Dwight Powell valuable is when you have guys who are at the top of your scale, the Ant, Cat, D'Lo group that are playing defense, and you got other guys that are motivated. You know, uh, Reggie Jackson isn't going to play the way he's playing now on a bad team or a mediocre team. and that happens all the time around the league. And so get the, the train running downhill and the guys who you pick up who you think are C players 
suddenly get excited and good coaching makes them B players, B plus players. That's huge. That's the difference between 38 wins and 43 wins. And that could make the difference between, you know, playing in late April and May or not. Right. No, we're, we're, we're completely, we're completely on the same page. And I think that difference maybe from a Rosa's perspective too, of, of keeping his job, keeping cat engaged, <laughs> there you go, all right. those sort of things. Like right. for real, that's a, yeah, those are a, that's definitely near the top of his list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, Britt, we're going to come back in on before the 4th of July weekend. We're going to talk. I think we might have a finals, be able to do a finals preview on Friday. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, you I have always, go- the, the Suns are my favorite team in the postseason, but I have always felt like the Clippers, Clippers mm. have some, they've got a, a coach who I'm really, you know, I was mad on Ty Lue at the beginning of the year, grudgingly accepting of how good of a job he was doing coming into the postseason. The dude has been great. And mm-hmm. um, and he's got so many buttons to push. I mean, Ballmer and whoever, you know, the group, there's like 12 guys who are functional NBA players. It just figures out how to, you know. Did how you to just say Ballmer? Yeah. Isn't that the owner's name? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I thought you were saying it <laughs> was a good. player. I thought it was going to be something else that's good. I, I thought you were saying Ballmer was a player. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ballmer is a guy who, who has the coin that they mm, go out and sign yeah. whoever they feel like to go 12 right. deep, you know? Right. Yeah, it's – I mean, and obviously we'll get into this, but it's been the, – the Suns offense has stalled out for like six quarters now. Yeah. And that's, that's – uh, that And is, they're beating them concerning. up. They are. You know, you they have are. Morris and Beverly – those guys, you know, they get out their rubber truncheons, you know, and uh, don't even know what that word means. <laughs> it's like rubber billy clubs, cops. There you go. All right. Um, well, either we'll have the finals to start to preview on Friday when we chat or like we'll talk about sevens. the amazing Clippers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing it, Britt. And uh, we'll talk again on Friday. Uh, until then, I will be back. On, on Thursday with uh, Will DeBerg to do a Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga uh, film review, and then Britt on Friday. So until then, he's Britt at Britt Robson on Twitter. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Uh, talk to you then. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah.